This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and imane, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows. The good guys lost Everybody knows The fight was fixed The poor stay poor The rich get rich That's how it goes Everybody knows Live from Toronto, Canada The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett From Zoomer Radio AM 740. Welcome to the broadcast for Sunday, October the 24th, 2010, which means just seven more sleeps till Halloween. Of course, you know as as well as I do that Halloween has become so commercialized, it just breaks my heart. And people have just forgotten, you know, the, the reason for the season, the real reason for Halloween. It's not about candy. It's not about trick-or-treating. It's not about costumes. It's Satan's birthday. Or maybe not. But uh, anyway, a great deal of excitement at our house, of course, uh, with with four-year-old twins. uh, And uh, they called up uh, my mother, my uh, their 85-year-old grandmother, and they asked, Grandma, what are you going out for Halloween, ass? So uh, it's, a, it's a great time because, you know, they're trying on different costumes. Or, uh, you know, uh, North wants to be uh, a dragon. Zachary wants to be Batman. And, of course, last minute, uh, if, if last year is any indication, that'll all change. And, you know, we'll be scrambling, trying to put some concoction together. North will want to be a robot, you know, at the 11th hour. Anyway, uh, we are going to... Um, Dial back to September 27th in just a little while. September 27th, mark that on your calendar or put that in your journal. I think that's going to figure very large in, uh, in the road to UFO disclosure because it was on that date at the Washington Press Club that several former U.S. Air Force officials came forward and spoke to the media and told them what they had seen concerning UFOs at nuclear weapons installations. Uh, Robert Salas was one of those individuals at the press club. He's a former Air Force captain 
who says he was involved in a 1967 incident at Melmstrom Air Force Base in Montana in which a UFO reportedly tampered with nuclear missiles. Uh, Bob Salas will be here in uh, just over half an hour's time, along with Victor Vigiani from Exopolitics Canada. And then a little bit later, Robert Hastings, who sort of organized this important press conference, and uh, he the author of UFOs and Nukes, Extraordinary Encounters at Nuclear Weapon Sites. He'll join us at uh, around 12 midnight. First off, though, there is a, uh, a very special book and uh, DVD a periodical store in town located on Queen Street West near uh, Roncesvalles. And the proprietor is, uh, is and remains a very loyal supporter of this program and has really become a, sort of the focal point for the uh, conspiracy community, if you will, if I can use that term. And he's here tonight uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, uh, he's going to be presenting a, a theatrical premiere of a very important film, and uh, he's asked me to present as well. We'll talk to you about G. Edward Griffin's new movie, What in the World Are They Spraying? It's about chemtrails, of course, so we'll talk about that. Uh, but he's also here to share his top 10 must-reads or must-views in terms of uh, uh, books and DVDs relating to conspiracies and the paranormal. And uh, we'll call it the Conspiracy Theorists Book Club. And uh, tonight will be sort of the inaugural of what we hope will be uh, many such installments of this. Uh, Patrick White from Conspiracy Culture, welcome to The Conspiracy Show, AM 740. How are you, my friend? Good. Thanks for having me, Richard. Why don't we, uh, we, we mention the, uh, the, the Canadian theatrical premiere, first of all. What in the world are they spraying? This is a G. Edward Griffin. Many people will remember him from, of course, The Creature from Jekyll Island. Uh, he's also uh, written extensively about um, uh, the cure for cancer being suppressed, B7, vitamin B17, I think. Yeah, B17, uh, which in its pure form, I guess you could call it laetrile. Yes. Yeah. So what's this film about? What in, what in the world are they spraying? Uh, what in the World Are They Spraying is the new groundbreaking film produced by G. Edward Griffin, uh, Michael Murphy, and Paul Wittenberger. Uh, they actually just did the worldwide premiere just the other day in Atlanta, and it went off tremendously, uh, sold out, packed place. And uh, basically the film discusses what's really going on with this whole chemtrail slash geoengineering cover-up. Okay, so uh, give us the details about the Canadian theatrical premiere. Sure. It's going to be on Saturday, November 20th, which is actually uh, World Anti-Chemtrail Day. And we're going to be having it at the Bloor Cinema, which is located at Bloor and Bathurst here in Toronto. The screening is going to start at 7 p.m. and the doors will open at 6.30. How do they get tickets? Well, you can get tickets by either coming by Conspiracy Culture, which is located at 1696 Queen Street West, or if you want to get the full uh, information event details, you can check us out at conspiracyculture.com, and there'll be uh, pretty much instructions on how you can obtain your ticket. You can call and order them over the phone, and we can hold them, and you can pick them up at the box office. Or again, if you've got the time, you can come by and pick them up at the shop. Again, that's Saturday, November 20th, 7 p.m., and that's the Bloor Cinema, 506 Bloor Street West. What in the world are they spraying the Canadian theatrical premiere? Hosted by yours truly, and... uh, conspiracy culture. All right. 
What have you uh, in store for us uh, over the next 20 minutes or so? This little uh, list that you've put together, a must-read or must-view list. Do you want to just dive in and give us uh, uh, the first the first uh, item on your list, Patrick? Yeah, sure. First, I'd like to say hello to the listeners. I know that we got a lot of Canadian listeners, my family, and some customers are tuning in. And I also wanted to say hello to those south of the border in America who are actually tuning in on AM740. I know that... Uh, you definitely got a massive audience. I hear a lot of my customers coming in and discussing the topics that you, you have on the program, and they all uh, reiterate just how important and how much they appreciate the show. So I'd like to just let you know that I had a few people that wanted me to ex- extend a hello and some well wishes to you. Wonderful. Thank you. But uh, if you want to dive right into some important books and some important DVDs that some people would be better off if they would actually uh, read and, and watch, uh, the first one we'll start with is... By all, is also by G. Edward Griffin, the gentleman that produced the What in the World Are They Spraying? And the book is called The Creature from Jekyll Island. It's, uh, it's pretty much everything you wanted to know about money, fiat currency, fractional reserve banking. Uh, it's very well written. It's easy to read. I believe they're in their 24th printing. So it just shows the success of the book. And uh, most people say that when they're finished with the book, they have a very thorough understanding of all things monetary. Yeah, you know, I uh, I had a very interesting conversation recently, uh, this week, in fact, uh, with the Honorable Paul Hellyer. And, of course, uh, many are aware that he was the former uh, Canadian defense minister under Lester B. Pearson, and uh, thanks in large part to uh, Victor Vigiani, who's uh, in the adjacent studio, he came forward in 2005 to talk about UFOs. I was uh, interviewing about uh, him about uh, UFOs, but... Once the camera stopped rolling, and this is for an upcoming episode of a, a project I'm working on, uh, he talked to me about macroeconomics, and, and I asked him about uh, Griffin's book, and, and uh, he's, he's very well aware, and, and, and Mr. Hellyer is very much on side, to a certain extent, with, uh, with Griffin and, and uh, how the central banking system and, and fractional reserve banking is really behind a lot of our, our woes, and there is a way out. Uh, he, he talks about uh, really changing uh, the, 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 the Canadian, uh, the central bank and uh, going back in time to the way that it used to operate back in the 30s and 40s when the government could, could uh, borrow from the, the Bank of Canada at a nominal interest rate. So I, I thought that was very interesting coming from, uh, from Paul Hellyer. So for sure, the, the, the creature from Jekyll Island is, is, a, is a huge uh, um, a piece of literature that uh, people should read. And that's available at, at Conspiracy Culture, correct? Absolutely. Every uh, every book and video that we'll be discussing tonight is readily available at the shop. Patrick White is here from Conspiracy Culture. And our first inaugural, The Conspiracy Theorists Book Club. What's uh, number two on the list, Patrick? Well, number two on the list is um, it, it's a great addition to The Creature from Jekyll Island. It's a video. It's called Money is Debt. And it was produced by a Canadian, Paul Grignon. And basically, it's a short animated film that explains monetary systems practiced through modern banking and uh, provides a visual demonstration of the process of money creation by the banks or, you know, quote-unquote private corporations and shows the historical background of the system and the proven unsustainability of it. And, uh, you know, for those that don't want to take up a 600-plus page book like The Creature from Jekyll Island, it's a great quick animated film for those who just want a, a, you know, a real to-the-point sort of lesson in terms of what money is and how money actually equates to debt. 
What's the name of the uh, the documentary again? It's called Money as Debt. Money as Debt. All right. Uh, we'll uh, take a quick time out, come back, continue with our Conspiracy Theorists Book Club top 10 list of must-reads and must-views. Patrick White from Conspiracy Culture. A little bit later, UFOs and nukes with former Air Force Captain Robert Salas and Robert Hastings, author of UFOs and Nukes. Hey, if you'd like to jump in, have a, a book or DVD recommendation, 416-360-0740, out of town and toll-free from just about anywhere, 866-740-4740. Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. Don't miss The Conspiracy Show next week, Halloween. A special surprise. Later in the show, I'll speak with a crime scene and trauma uh, cleanup uh, specialist. Obviously, as you can imagine, that's a, uh, not a job for everyone, but this particular individual uh, who's been doing this uh, a type of work for quite a, quite a long time has had some unbelievable paranormal experiences on the job, and he'll be here to share them with us. And also, our, uh, our cast of regular contributors will... Uh, will call in with their paranormal encounters, all part of our Halloween special here on The Conspiracy Show, AM 740, next week. Right now, Patrick White stays with us from Conspiracy Culture, 1696 Queen Street West, near Roncesvalles, with his uh, top ten list of must-read, must-reads or must-views books and DVDs relating to uh, conspiracies and the paranormal. All right, Patrick, what's up next on the list? All right, number three is a book. It's called Propaganda, and it's written by Edward Bernays in 1928. And Edward Bernays is or was the nephew of Dr. Sigmund Freud and is known as the father of public relations. He was uh, one of the first to attempt to manipulate public opinion using the subconscious, and the book is fantastic. Fantastic. It explains how the, uh, the powers that be shape and mold public opinion and mass consciousness. And this was written by the nephew of Sigmund Freud. Absolutely. Interesting. And back in what what was the publishing date? 1928? 1928. My word. And this is coming this is interesting because this is coming from an insider. So this guy's sort of an uh one of the original whistleblowers then, right? Uh well, he was uh he was basically one of the guys that basically popularized uh, the tobacco industry in the states. Um he was the one who basically created a lot of trends and uh you know, a lot of the pop culture made things popular, basically was figuring out way like he took a lot of the the science that Freud was uh, was working on and used that to tap into the public consciousness and, and basically was making basically society crave certain products and, and accepting certain things that they wouldn't have otherwise been able to foist into uh, into the public realm. Interesting, interesting. All right, what's next on the list? Well, uh, we're sort of doing a, a book and DVD combo kind of thing which, with uh, the DVDs complementing the books. And uh, the video that would complement propaganda is called Outfoxed, Rupert Murdoch's War on Journalism. And it's a video that was produced by Robert Greenwald. 
And this video shows uh, pretty much the power of the media. And uh, Rupert Murdoch, you know, through his v various media outlets, can basically reach over one-third of the world's population at any given time. And that's very dangerous when you think about the potential for, for, the, for, the, for propaganda, basically. I'm guessing that that would uh, be uh, a documentary that would be very much uh, of interest to the, uh, the current occupant of the White House because uh, President Barack Obama is apparently just obsessed with, with Fox News and the way that he's being portrayed there and his policies are being portrayed on, on, on Fox. Uh, I had a, a, a conversation with Joel Skousen, the editor of World Weekly News, uh, World Weekly News, sorry, World Affairs Brief, <laughs> uh, World Affairs Brief, and uh, he spoke recently to a documentary filmmaker who spoke to a former White House insider, and uh, the insider said that uh, Obama is just, as I say, obsessed with Fox News. So I bet you that DVD would be a, uh, a welcome addition to his, uh, his collection. It's definitely very enlightening. All right. What's next on your list, Patrick? All right. Number five is a book called War is a Racket, written by Brigadier General Smedley Butler. And this book was originally printed in 1935. And it's basically uh, Smedley Butler's speech where he describes his role as a soldier and how he was pretty much a puppet for big business interests. It's, uh, it's a great book that provides an extraordinary argument against war and, uh, you know, considering the, the world climate today, it's, it's just as uh, important now as it was back in 1935. Interesting. Again, uh, going back in time, and we have one of the original whistleblowers. Uh, a great deal of courage uh, for, for these people to have come forward like that. Now, was this published uh, uh, posthumously, or was it published during uh, his, his life? Do we know? Uh, I'm, from what I understand, it was published... Uh, Wally was around, and it's just been reprinted throughout the years because it's such an important work. And a high-ranking military officer, a brigadier general? A brigadier general. My word. And here he is basically admitting uh, that uh, what wars are deliberately fomented uh, for profiteering, and uh, it's the world's oldest racket. Absolutely. Excellent, excellent. Anyone uh, who cares to, uh, to jump in with a book recommendation of their own, we'd love to hear it and add it to the list. It's 416-360-0740, and toll-free from Maine to Minnesota and Thunder Bay to the Carolinas, 866-740-4740. Uh, back with more of our inaugural Conspiracy Theorists Book Club. Here on The Conspiracy Show, my name is Richard Serrett. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. RichardSerrett.com, S-Y-R-E-T-T, RichardSerrett.com. I think after 10 years on the air, I wouldn't have to spell my last name, but be that as it may, RichardSerrett.com, that's your portal to The Conspiracy Show here on AM740. All the information you need on upcoming shows, past shows. There's a past show audio archive there. I've got a book and DVD club of my own on there. You can click on there and uh, some book recommendations. Top Secret, top secret Documents. There's a page there um, for uh, some declassified documents. And uh, also, there's an online poll 
This one's uh, been up a little while. I'll have to get on my uh, webmaster and have him uh, change it up. But uh, the current online poll is, what are chemtrails? An urban legend? A secret project to manipulate the weather? Part of the New World Order depopulation agenda? Or not sure? And the results. 24% of you say they're part of the New World Order depopulation agenda. 22.3% say a secret project to manipulate the weather. 11.1% are not sure. And 8% of you say they are an urban legend. All right. Patrick White from Conspiracy Culture, 1696 Queen Street West, here in Toronto, with his uh, list of uh, books and DVDs that you must see or watch as a, a fellow truth seeker. So what's next on the list, Patrick? All right. Well, we just discussed the book War is a Racket by General Smedley Butler. And a DVD that would be a great complement to that is called Why We Fight by Eugene Jarecki. And Eugene also did the, uh, the film The Trials of Henry Kissinger. And Why We Fight, uh, this film basically asks how and answers why there is a state of constant war. And it discusses the forces that keep us on guard against an ever-changing enemy. You know, there's always, uh, there's always someone or something that's threatening our perceived freedoms. And this film uh, cuts to the chase and basically explains the, the reason and the logic behind that. Now, you, people can come and uh, buy uh, DVDs. You also rent them, do you not? Yeah, we've got a pretty extensive uh, DVD collection at the shop. We've got over 1,000 documentaries that we rent out, um, everything from geopolitics to science to ancient civilizations, cryptozoology, uh, secret societies, the occult, aliens, UFOs, extraterrestrials, uh, spirituality, body, mind, soul, you know, anything and everything that you guys discuss here on the program. Now, aside from that list, when people come to your, your store, uh, is there a difference between, first of all, between men and women uh, in, in terms of their interests? My experience on the air, and this is not a science, is that I find that, that men t- tend to uh, be more interested in the, the political subterfuge, the, 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 the historical conspiracies, where uh, women tend to be interested more in the alternative uh, health, alternative medicine, um, uh, the, the metaphysical type uh, subjects. And uh, granted, that's a generalization, but, uh, you know, over the years, this is a trend that I've noted. Have you noticed that? You know, you, you kind of nailed it right on the head. I, most of the, the males that come into the shop are, are looking for something that deals with politics or, you know, I guess a little bit more of the fringe kind of material. And uh, the women, you know, there are women who come in and look for political material. But again, for the most part, it just, it's, it's like you said, it seems to be the alternative health, uh, the metaphysical stuff, the, the spiritual stuff. Yeah, the big questions. Why are we here? Where do we come from? What happens after we die? Well, you know, they say women are smarter than men, so... No question. No question. <laughs> no question. Uh, all right. What's up next on the list, Patrick? All right. The next one on the list uh, should be uh, something that we're all concerned with. It's a book. It's called The Fluoride Deception, and it's written by Christopher Bryson. And this book uh, looks deeply into the fluoride debate. You know, fluoride, it's in our drinking water. Uh, our government and dentists tell us that it's safe and good for us. But, um, you know, fluoride, it may be one of the most toxic of the industrial pollutants. It's, uh, it's a byproduct of aluminum, and uh, they basically put it in our drinking water here in the city. So, you know, if it's, if it's a toxic uh, industrial pollutant, why are they putting it in our drinking water? So Christopher Bryson goes uh, to great lengths to explain um, this whole fluoride uh, situation. 
does he talk about whether fluoride can be used to, to pacify a population? Well, he does discuss that. I believe it was in World War II where fluoride was used to make, uh, I guess it was some of the, the prisoners, I guess, more docile and complacent. Do you read all of the books that come into your shop or, or do you watch all of the DVDs that come into your shop? Uh, no, I, I don't have enough time in the day, but, you know, I do try to get through as much of the material as I can. Um, my wife and my partner, Kadina, she reads uh, quite a bit, so we kind of work as a team. You know, she'll, she'll go through tons of material, I'll go through tons of material, and we'll basically discuss the content uh, at the end of the day, and we'll just exchange and share ideas about the subjects. What uh, what sort of material do you personally gravitate towards? I mean, what has you excited these days in terms of the the literature or the DVDs? Oh, it's all over the place. Um, lately, you know, I guess it's with with the with the production of this new film. What in the world are they spraying? But I guess the last four or five weeks, I've been putting a lot of my focus into the chemtrail and geoengineering uh, phenomenon. All right, and uh, just a reminder that. Saturday, November the 20th, at 7 p.m., Conspiracy Culture presents What in the World Are They Spraying? This is the Canadian theatrical premiere, a film produced by G. Edward Griffin, and uh, that's at the Bloor Cinema, November 20th, Saturday, November 20th, Bloor Cinema, 506 Bloor Street West, tickets at the door at $10, or you can order uh, by contacting Conspiracy Culture online. Is that the best way? www.conspiracyculture.com? Yeah, sure. Or if they want to come by the shop, uh, they can do that as well. All right. What's next on the list, Patrick? All right. And sticking with the G. Edward Griffin theme, uh, number eight is a book. It's called World Without Cancer. And, uh, you know, almost everyone these days knows someone with cancer. It's, uh, it's a great book that talks about cancer pretty much being a deficiency disease. And the, uh, the substance that... Um, most people have a deficiency with is vitamin B17. Uh, we were talking about it earlier, which, you know, in its purified form developed specifically for the cancer therapies is known as laetrile. And that would be spelled L-A-E-T-R-I-L-E. And you can, you can get laetrile, or sorry, you can get B17, um, you know, from bitter almonds, millet, wheatgrass, and uh, it's in the seeds of apples, cherries, peaches, plums, etc., and, uh, you know, in Canada these days, the probability of developing or dying from cancer based on what I think it was the 2009 rates, 40% of Canadian women and uh, 45% of Canadian men will develop cancer in their lifetimes. So this is a pretty important book. And uh, we sell tons of this book. And, uh, you know, I, I can't recommend it enough considering just how many toxins and pollutants we're exposed to on a regular basis. Uh, and the fact that uh, uh, G. Edward Griffin has uh, appeared on that list twice already certainly speaks uh, volumes. I mean, he's just a, a, a giant, really, in uh, this whole field of uh, you know, research and, uh, in, uh, and conspiracies and alternative health and so forth. Yeah, I think he's in his late 70s, and he's been doing this for quite a while. And, and they've actually got a, a company in the States and California that deals with... Um, you know, curing cancer with alternative therapies. So he's he's been at this for quite some time. Certainly. Okay, what's next, Patrick? All right, number nine is a DVD called The Corporation. And uh, The Corporation, it's a, it's a fantastic look at the corporation, what they are, how they've transformed, and how they influence pretty much every aspect of culture in its pursuit of profit. 
uh, you know, with a complete disregard for our health and safety. And after watching a, a film like The Corporation, you can sort of see how a toxic substance like fluoride finds its way into our drinking water and in our chewing gum. You know, other chemicals like aspartame find their way into uh, pretty much all the snacks and the chewing gums and, and everything that's, you know, got... Uh, so it's The Corporation makes a lot of sense of why we're having to endure all these uh, assaults so it's it's not about a any one particular uh, corporation. It's about just uh, the corporate system in general. Yeah, and it, it talks about the the corporate mentality and pretty much you know if a corporation was a human being, they would pretty much be um, perceived as a psychopath. <laughs> That's a, a very apt analogy. Yeah, it's, I would it's just say. A, it's just a complete disregard for the well being of anybody. Just uh, with the main concern being the the big bucks. I look at uh, corporations as sort of, uh, they become these synthetic beasts uh, where you have, I mean, they are ostensibly run by human beings and these human beings go home to their families and they're, they are, uh, you know, nobody is pure evil or pure good. We're all sort of shades of gray and, and the people that work in corporations, I don't think by and large are, are you know, they're not any different than, than most of us, uh, perhaps, you know, the people at the very, very top. Uh, uh, have um, you know avarice and and uh, and greed, but I think what happens with corporations is they just becoming they become this self fulfilling entity, and it just sort of it just sort of runs along and and nobody really is in charge to a certain extent. Uh, they just they, they they these corporations they take on a life of their own, and uh, that's obviously uh, you know a, a huge concern because we are all at the mercy. Uh, of these corporations because they 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 have the ear of government and so forth. All right, that's a, that's a great recommendation. What's next on the list? Yeah, I just wanted to add to your last point there about about uh, the corporations. You know, the last uh, thing that really made me shake my head was, you know, when we had this you know quote unquote H one N one pandemic last year, and you know we had our government telling us that these shots were were safe. And that we should all go out and get one, but at the same time, they removed any sort of legal responsibility from the companies that were producing the shots. So right there, it's you just you have to you have to wonder. Well, why are you telling us to take these shots and then removing any sort of legal responsibility from the manufacturer of the vaccines? So, yeah, yeah. Well, you 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 have to wonder. Is um, you know in the states is the Food and Drug Administration or. Uh, up here, you know, our equivalent or Health Canada, who are they? Are they working for us or are they working for the corporations? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, it's a sad state, basically. Patrick White from Conspiracy Culture and uh, counting down his uh, top 10 must-reads or uh, views, books and DVDs, the Conspiracy Theorists Book Club here on The Conspiracy Show AM 740. Getting down near the end of the list, Patrick, what's uh, next? Well, number 10 is a book. It's called Dumbing Us Down, and it's written by John Taylor Gatto. And uh, this book takes a critical look at the educational system. And uh, John Gatto basically contends that students are, are more programmed to uh, conform to economic and social norms rather than to really, you know, think critically for themselves. So, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, it's an interesting look. You know, it, it's... 
you got to ask, like, what, what are we learning in the schools and, and the universities and the colleges these days? We're just pretty much learning how to toe the company line, really. Uh, to that book, I would uh, I would also add uh, Charlotte Iserbit's uh, Dumbing Down America. Yeah. Uh, which, I mean, talk about a whistleblower. This is a woman that worked for the Department of Education, and uh, she talks openly about the... Uh, the move to merge the uh, the uh, the U.S. Uh, education system with the Soviet uh, system, and this uh, move towards a collective collectivist society. Uh, you know, the idea that we go to school to uh, to get a good job—that's really not what you know. That's not the purpose, the stated purpose of of, of education. And now we have uh, these uh, these programs where uh, kids in high school. In grade uh, ten or eleven or twelve, they actually they go out into the uh, the workplace. Uh, they shadow, uh, you know, uh, uh, people in various workplaces, uh, internships in high school, uh, where they go and they work for free. Uh, so this cozy uh, connection between uh, corporations and 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 our public schools, to me, I find very disturbing. Yeah, and if you look back, I think it was nineteen ten when the Rockefellers basically co-opted the educational systems and started dictating what was mandatory for curriculum. Right, right. Yeah, so. and, and this is this is really very much in line with what they what they did in the Soviet Union. It was all about uh, um, you know training the uh, the future workforce in in their schools. Yeah, think uh, like us, be like us, and if if you're thinking outside the bo- outside the box, we'll hold you back for a year. Right, right. Yeah, uh, and graduate uh, a generation of of pliable. Uh, surfs for uh, the global economy, I guess. Yeah, and you can graduate with the Masonic uh, square on your head. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and lots of fluoride in that drinking water, in the, in the fountain. Mm. All right. Uh, is that the uh, the end of the list, or is there one more on there, Patrick? No, that's 10. That's 10? That's 10. Okay, do you want to do a quick recap? Yeah, sure. All right, so uh, we discussed uh, 10 books and DVDs that uh, you guys should check out. The first one was a book called The Creature from Jekyll Island by G. Edward Griffin. Everything that you wanted to know about money, fiat, currency, fractional reserve, banking, etc., etc. A DVD called Money as Debt by Canadian Paul Grignon. Uh, Same thing. It's just a really condensed kind of Coles Notes version of Creature from Jekyll Island. And it's an animated film. So for those of you with ADD, that's the route to take. Uh, the third book was uh, Propaganda by Edward Bernays, the nephew of Dr. Sigmund Freud. Uh, it explains how, uh, you know, the shadow masters shape and mold public opinion. Uh, DVD Outfoxed, Rupert Murdoch's War on Journalism by Robert Greenwald. Just shows the extent of the power of the media and just how pervasive it is in our society. Uh, then we've got War is a Racket. It's a book written by Brigadier General Smedley Butler. Uh, provides an extraordinary argument against war. A uh, DVD called Why We Fight by Eugene Jarecki. Uh, same thing as War is a Racket. Uh, just sort of explains, uh, you know, who the forces are that are constantly keeping us on our toes against the ever-changing enemy. Uh, a book called The Fluoride Deception by Christopher Bryson. I mean, we all drink water. Uh, number eight was a book called World Without Cancer by G. Edward Griffin. Uh, gives you some ideas in terms of, um, you know, some things that you can incorporate into your diet that can help you fight it off. And uh, number nine is a video called The Corporation. Uh, you can find that anywhere, especially at Conspiracy Culture. Number 10 is a book by John Taylor Gatto called Dumbing Us Down. Good job. There you have it. Our inaugural 
Conspiracy Theorists Book Club, Patrick White of Conspiracy Culture, 1696 Queen Street West, near Roncesvalles. Get on down there, check it out. And uh, many of the, uh, the books there and the authors You'll, uh, you'll also hear on this program from time to time. And also, don't forget, Saturday, November the 20th, 7 p.m. at the Bloor Cinema, Conspiracy Culture and Yours Truly presents What in the World Are They Spraying? The Canadian theatrical premiere. Patrick, thank you so much for this. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Richard. All right. UFOs and nukes when The Conspiracy Show returns on AM740. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Had the pleasure of uh, speaking with Richard Dolan on Thursday at his home in Rochester. Richard Dolan historian, UFO researcher, and uh, his new book, which I believe hits the bookstores uh, today, or actually it was Friday, I think, A.D. After Disclosure, The People's Guide to UFOs After Contact. And uh, that is, I think, going to be one of those books that, you know, after disclosure, we may point to and say, you know, this was one of those steps that uh, brought the public sort of on side. I think Leslie Kane's book as well uh, is another one of those efforts that could be the tipping point leading us to UFO disclosure. And another thing that happened recently, September 27th at the uh, Washington Press Club, some former U.S. Air Force officials came forward and talked about what they had seen at various nuclear missile installations. They talked about witnessing UFOs interacting, tampering with nuclear missiles. And uh, for the next hour and 15 minutes, we're going to talk just about that exactly, UFOs and nukes. Victor Vigiani joins me once again from Exopolitics Canada. Hey, Victor, how are you? Not too bad at all, Richard, and thanks for having me on. Where would you rank that uh, that that huge press conference on uh, the twenty seventh uh, in wow. terms of you know mm. events that are leading us towards UFO disclosure? Well, I think the number one would have to be Stephen Greer's uh, press conference back in was it two thousand and one where he brought forward uh, at least, I think it was 15 or 20 specific individuals who came forward about uh, their experiences. You had uh, FAA administrators and pilots, and and I think next you'd probably have to look at the uh, CFI press conference where John Podesta came forward and talked about him questioning or demanding some answers from the government about what they know about the UFO uh, situation. And I think next, or even parallel to that, would have to be um, uh, Bob Hastings and Bob Salas' press conference back on the 27th, where they brought forward, I believe it was seven um, launch commanders or, or people who were in charge of nuclear missiles 
and uh, talking about their experiences where these these craft of unknown origin came over, hovered, and disabled nuclear missiles. I, I would have to rank it number two or three in the whole regime of, of everything. Here, here's to me, though, what was different about the uh, event, uh, the, the press conference on the 27th, different mm-hmm. from, from Stephen Greer's and different from, from Podesta's, and that is the the way that it was perceived by the mainstream media. Mm-hmm. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but this press conference that was held on the 27th with Bob Salas and, and Robert Hastings received real serious, widespread mainstream attention. There was no ha-ha-ha, yeah. rolling of the eyes, tongue firmly planted in cheek. This, I th- f- the first time that I'm aware of, really penetrated to that level within the mainstream yeah. media. They could not ignore it this time. Exactly right. I think the key point here, uh, Richard, is the fact that this, these incidents, and there's a number of them all the way back from, what's it, 1967, 68, all the way through up into 203, uh, it's a national security issue. And for whatever reasons, the government uh, of the United States has chosen to ignore or not respond to the fact that a number of nuclear installations were set dead or into a no-go situation. And the way the government has become mute on this issue is absolutely staggering. And when you look at the information, not only the, not only the, the um, I guess the, the testimony of these individual launch commanders, but the documentation that, 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 that Salas and Hastings have brought forward, it is unequivocally a fact, and I'll say it again, it's an unequivocal fact that these nuclear missiles, these silos, were shut down by unknown entities. And how do you dismiss not only um, the fact that it happened, but how can a government not respond to something like that? And it is unconscionable that a government will not respond to that kind of information. I think uh, Robert Hastings and, and, and Bob Salas have challenged the government to come forward to say something about the effect that this kind of incident had on, on, on national security. All right, well, let's uh, let's get Robert Salas uh, in on the uh, discussion. Robert Salas served almost seven years on active duty in the Air Force until resigning in 1971. From 71 to 73, he worked for Martin Marietta Aerospace and Rockwell International on space shuttle design proposals. From 1973 until his retirement in 1995, he worked for the Federal Aviation Administration. Robert wrote the book, Faded Giant with co-author James Klotz, which details his UFO incident while stationed at Melmstrom Air Force Base, Montana, in 1967. Robert Salas, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Um, great, Richard. <clears throat> hi, hi, and hi to you, Vic. Not Victor, too bad. Not too bad at all, my friend. Good to, good to hear your voice. Uh, talk to me, uh, Robert, about the, uh, the timing of this press conference. Your incident happened uh, 43 years ago. Uh, why why choose September 27, 2010 to uh, to go to the press club with this? Well, um, actually, we, we didn't time it for any particular reason. Uh, some people have thought that we timed it for this, this TV program out called, um, uh, I forget what it's called now. The Event? The Event, right. But uh, that wasn't the reason. It, it was not time for Leslie King's new book, uh, None of that. We uh, Hastings and I just decided we had enough uh, evidence and we had enough witnesses that it was time we had a, a press conference, and we wanted to do it ourselves. We wanted to organize it ourselves. Uh, we had no 
support for any, from any organization. It was really a grassroots effort. We got uh, donations from the public uh, to put this thing on. <clears throat> and we just decided to go ahead and do it. Uh, it just happened to be on the 27th. I, uh, I was discussing the, the way that the, the mainstream media, CNN here in Canada, the CBC, how they covered uh, this press conference. Right. D- did you likewise note this sea change in attitude of, of, of the press from, I don't know, perhaps previous um, events when the media was, was covering UFOs? We did. We did notice. Uh, we just had our fingers crossed going in. You know, we we did send out a, a press release um, far and wide, and we were just hoping we would get good coverage. As it turned out, uh, CNN at the last moment, almost uh, just that very morning, decided to go ahead and air it live. And as a result of that, uh, that just broke the dam and uh, a lot of other uh, news agencies uh, wanted wanted also to to interview us, and uh, we we just got a ton of interviews, and um, uh, all the major networks, uh, ABC, CBS, um, we we just we were just so pleased with the way it turned out. I, uh, Bob, I've got to ask you, and it's something that perplexes me, and to a certain degree. Um, creates a lot of angst in my own mind. You, the two of you did what you did, and th- the press conference was an absolute success, and the kinds of coverage that you got was uh, was insurmountably, uh, as far as I'm concerned, successful. What really um, creates, uh, I guess, a, a big roadblock in my own mind is the response of the administration. And, and I know that, uh, you know, they, they've got it pretty well pat, that they're not going to, you know, jump in knee-jerk reaction to anything that happens in the press and the way you guys have done what, you've, what, what you did. But how can you account for their silence? Uh, I, 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 I keep on thinking about, you know, they know what's going on. You know, they know the press conference went on, and I know that previous administrations, be it as far back as, you know, uh, you know Ford, uh, Gerald Ford, uh, these administrations knew what was going on. How do you account for the silence? In, in your estimation, why is the administration not making any comment on what you guys have done? Well, a uh, couple of thoughts come to mind. Uh, number one, I doubt if our current president has been briefed on this, uh, mm-hmm. this issue. Uh, uh, I think it's being held within a tight circle, and... Um, Number two, uh, this uh, technique of just remaining silent on the issue has seemed to work since 1969. Well, mm-hmm. except for the uh, Roswell incident, I think the Air Force came out and said something about that when there was a lot of pressure put on. But uh, they have done a very good job of blunting uh, any inquiries. Uh, uh, um, it's it's just seemed to have worked. But uh, the point is this time, I think, uh, what's going to be different is that uh, the seven of us, uh, uh, in particular, are not going to uh, just let this pass. We're going to keep pushing this issue uh, in the government's nose, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And we're going to keep talking about it, and uh, eventually, hopefully, uh, they're going to have to say something about it. Because, like you said, and I appreciate your introduction to this, um, um, I, for one, had to sign a non-disclosure statement. I'm in violation of the of that. You know, I'm in violation of the law. Mm-hmm. 
uh, because I, I promised uh, in, by my signature not to ever talk about this. So um, um, I'm just, you know, and they, and they know that. So uh, we, we, we really hope that uh, by, by, by pushing the issue on programs like this, with, eventually they'll have to come forward. Robert, uh, stay with us. Victor Vigiani, sit tight. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show discussing UFOs and nukes. Don't go away. We found alien life, and here it is. The problem is, but we've been lying to you about it for 60 years by, by previously denying it. So, so that's a constitutional problem. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Former Air Force Captain Robert Salas is with us. September 27th, he addressed the media at the Washington Press Club to talk about how UFOs are tampering with nuclear missiles all over the world, really. This isn't localized to the United States. This is happening happening in uh, the former Soviet Union and elsewhere. And uh, a little bit later, we'll check in with Robert Hastings, noted UFO lecturer, researcher, and author of UFOs and Nukes. He was uh, also one of the driving forces behind that uh, press conference. All right. Uh, Robert, one of the, uh, the things that, that's very curious about the news cycle is when they decide to cover a story like this, as they did with Edgar Mitchell, uh, the coverage is pretty hot and intense for maybe a week or so, and then, all of a sudden, it just goes away. Uh... Is that going to happen this time? Uh, I don't think so, um, for a couple of reasons. Um, there are things that are happening in, in the UFO community. For example, I'll give you an example. The, uh, the uh, initiative in Denver is going to be voted on in, uh, in a couple of weeks, maybe less than that. Uh, and that's... Uh, you know, if that passes, that'll bring more interest uh, on the subject. There will, there will continue to be um, sightings, more and more sightings. Uh, we should mention uh, just Robert that. Hastings and I are, are not are going to continue to appear on uh, various TV and radio shows. We're going to keep pressing the issue. So uh, eventually, uh, there will be more and more uh, people come forward. Uh, not just the seven of us that spoke in September 27th, but uh, other witnesses will also come forward. So I don't think it's going to die down this time. So, I mean, after a press conference like this, you would think that uh, some reporter, any reporter worth their salt, would mm-hmm. say, you know what, maybe we should follow up with uh, Defense Secretary Gates and ask him about this. Uh, that would seem to be the logical step. Uh, I mean, I, I would think that uh, that would be sort of, uh, you know, right there in the, the journalist's playbook. But I just, i got to be honest, I don't see that happening. And I, that's obviously part of the, the, the media's complicity in this cover-up. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an enormous issue. And, of course, we've got the elections going on right now in the, in the States, so uh, everybody's uh, distracted with that. Um, but it, it is a difficult issue to even bring up without um, still hearing some snickers here and there. So, do you, do you think uh, the, do you think the snickers 
are still there. Uh, I guess what Richard is, is talking about, he's, he's alluding to the fact that you've got, you know, some factions like Fox and, and CNN, and uh, I've even heard, you know, some local CBS uh, affiliates covering mm-hmm. covering what you guys have done. Um, mm-hmm. What what my question is, is when will this, and in your estimation, when will this issue, the way, the way you're framing it, when is it going to crack this glass ceiling and uh, people at, uh, let's say, you know, CBS uh, 60 Minutes going to give you a call or, or Hastings a call and say, okay, you guys, we want you on the show. And you're going to sit back and say, oh, my goodness, 60 Minutes has actually decided to do this. Now, will that be a function of, you know, uh, the ownership saying, okay, let's blow this open? Not, not not just CBS, but whoever owns CBS, whoever they might, Time Warner, whatever, you know, whatever Viacom, whoever they are. Is it going to be a matter of this large ownership saying, okay, let's break this, let's break this egg, or is it going to take more than that for the media to go beyond and you know, wait for it to sieve through to, to larger, larger, me- larger media? Yeah. I, I think it's going to take more than that. Um, I don't think even if uh, CBS decided to do a 60-minute special, uh, it would take place. I, I don't think it would happen. We, we've had, uh, I'll, I, I will tell you, we've had CNN come to us and say, we want to do an hour-long show on this. We've already had that uh, presented to us, but it it uh, didn't happen. You know, they, they, never, they never followed up on that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I know why. One of the reasons is uh, access. You know, all the government has to do is kind of hint that they'll they'll lose access to, you know, other discussions of military mm. importance uh, if if they put this show on. I I, I think pressures like that are put on uh, major networks. So that's a real factor, you're saying? I I do. I think so. Wow. Uh, I'm just speculating, of course, but I, I think mm-hmm. that's true. Uh, I think what else is going to have to happen is some kind of internal uh, discussion within, let's say, the Air Force, okay? Because I, I, there are no doubt uh, certain generals in the Air Force that have not been clued in uh, on this issue of, of UFOs. And they're going to want to know why. And, uh, and so hopefully there will be some crack in the armor that way and uh, eventually you know, more of them will come forward and, and, and want to talk about this. Um, Rob, Robert, when we uh, come back, we'll, uh, we'll get you to talk about, for those that uh, didn't see the, uh, the press conference, uh, didn't see it on YouTube, mm-hmm. uh, we'll find out what exactly is meant by UFOs tampering with nuclear missiles and maybe get your take on what it is they, whoever these pilots of these crafts are, what they're up to, what, they, what do they want? Back with more of The Conspiracy Show as we discuss UFOs and uh, nukes. Uh, Victor Vigiani in studio from Exopolitics Canada and former U.S. Air Force Captain Robert Salas on the phone. Stay with us. We deal in illusions, man. None of it is true. But you people sit there day after day, night after night, all ages, colors, creeds. We're all you know. You're beginning to believe the illusions we're spinning here. You're beginning to think that the tube is reality and that your own lives are unreal. You do whatever the tube tells you. You dress like the tube. You eat like the tube. You raise your children like the tube. You even think like the tube. This is mass madness, you maniacs. In God's name, you people are the real thing. We are the illusion. 
Go turn off your television sets. Turn them off now. Turn them off right now. Turn them off and leave them off. Turn them off right in the middle of the sentence I'm speaking to you now. Turn them off. Brainwashed in our childhood. Brainwashed by the school. Brainwashed by our teachers and brainwashed by all the rules. Brainwashed by our leaders, by our kings and queens. Brainwashed in the open and brainwashed behind the scenes. Live from Toronto, Canada. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. You want to jump in with a question or comment, we'd love to hear from you at 416-360-0740. 416-360-0740. Toll free from Maine to Minnesota, Thunder Bay to the Carolinas, 866-740-4740. Robert Salas with us, former U.S. Air Force captain. Uh, Robert, uh, what exactly is meant by tampering with nuclear missiles when we talk about UFOs tampering with nuclear missiles? Well, in my case, they were able to disable them uh, so that they they couldn't be used, they couldn't be launched. Uh, they went into what we call a no-go condition or unlaunchable condition. Uh, we got two indications. One was guidance and control system failure and then... Uh, logic coupler failure um so uh it was uh it was definitely a national security incident uh they were able to not only shut down my 10 missiles but a week earlier they they did the same thing they shut down 10 missiles uh at another flight we've got all this documented it's uh, we've got a solid case We've got uh, witness testimony of the two crews. We've got documents. Um, we've got testimony of the uh, Boeing uh, team leader who investigated the ECHO incident. So we do believe we've got a good, strong case. So that, in, in essence, what you're saying is that the technological reasons that anyone could fabricate beyond the UFO explanation, of course, the technological explanations really aren't, aren't there. Uh, that's right. I'd, I'd like to read just just briefly from the, uh, uh, this is a unit history, one of the official documents, Air Force documents we received. Uh, it just says, in quote, the opinion of the team, uh, this is the investigative team, was that externally generated signals caused the generation of these two channels and shutdown of the launch facilities. The possibility of this is very remote due to the fact that all ten couplers would have to fail in the flight within a few seconds of each other. So that's directly from uh, Air Force report. Let me. Oh, go ahead. Victor. No, no. So I guess just to reiterate. So, so in essence, they don't have an explanation that could be uh, sort of allocated to an internal failure of some kind. That's right. That's right. And they and they investigated all aspects of the system, all all possibilities. Uh, uh, so yeah. Now, okay. So I, I just want to go just just back up a little bit here. Um, when all of this happens, okay. Let's let's look at the 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 the, com, the, the command line here. The the what do you call the line of li, the line of control. When something like this happens, um, how would the Pentagon or the Secretary of Defense or whoever would be beyond you as a as a launch commander, and there's a lot of, I guess, uh, echelons uh, that are above you, how would they be informed of these kinds of things, and, and what might their reactions be? 
Uh, well, of course, uh, they would be notified by Telex uh, immediately. In fact, they were. Uh, one of the uh, r- reports we got, one of the official documents we got from the Air Force under the Freedom of Information Act was this Telex. And uh, they said uh, in this Telex, this is from SAC headquarters now going out to the field after they found out about this that uh, the fact that no apparent reason for the loss of 10 missiles can be readily identified is cause for grave concern to this headquarters, grave concern. So what you're saying is that, uh, I guess, if you go up the line, the, the, the command line, that eventually the Secretary of Defense, who, whoever w- that may have been at the given time, would know about these things. No doubt, no doubt. So, uh, again, this was uh, during the Cold War and during the Vietnam War. Uh, the loss of, of 10 nuclear missiles for no apparent reason must have gone up the line. So what the you're line. saying then is is if we queried uh, any given Secretary of Defense at a certain point in time, whatever that may be from you know the date that you gave to begin with to up to 203, that any one of the Secretaries of Defense would somehow have known about these shutdowns? I think absolutely, uh, without question. Mm-hmm. This well, would have gone to the Secretary of Defense. Okay, there is a nice invitation for a uh, for a journalist <laughs> to pick that up and run with the ball if they feel so inclined. And I think Robert knows where I'm going with that, but we'll just leave it at that right now. <laughs> where are you going with that? <laughs> to be qu- to be quite honest yeah. with you, uh, Richard, I can't talk about it right now. Really? Yes, I'm serious about that. You can't talk. Okay. All right. Trust me, my friend. I do. I do. <laughs> We're into something really big here, okay? Yes. For any journalist that's listening, um, this is more hot than anything you'd want to believe. So um, we'll just leave it at that at this point. All right. Uh, any incident, incidents, Robert, of nukes being brought online or being activated by UFO? When I, when I say activated, I mean, I'm not using oh. the, the proper parlance, obviously. I don't mean, obviously, uh, launched, but I mean... Uh, you brought have back n- online. Yeah, brought yeah. back online. Or armed, or whatever the uh, the terminology is. Uh, okay, well, now you're talking about uh, arming uh, yes. the weapons and uh, starting maybe a launch sequence. Yes. That happened in the Soviet Union. I think it was 1984. Um and I've, I've got the details in my book, but I don't remember all the details. But in fact, the UFO flew over the uh, the missile and started it on its launch sequence, <laughs> <laughs> much to the uh, shock of, of the launch officers. But uh, it was able; uh, they were able to uh, stop the launch sequence. Now, uh, Bruce Fenstermacher, who was uh, one of our witnesses at, uh, on September 27th. Uh, does talk about um, UFO flying over and, uh, again, um, affecting uh, the indications he was getting on his panel. Um, uh, so he was, he was getting all kinds of different uh, lights and indications. Um, in addition to that, uh, I've got a witness uh, who I can't name right now because he's... Um, he doesn't want me to release his name, but uh, I certainly believe him because we've been able to track him to the to the base at the time. Um, stated that while he was working on on bringing one of Echo Flight's missiles back up on alert, 
this object came right over and uh, and interfered with his his duties uh, as a targeting officer, uh, bringing the missile back up on alert. The, the, this object would interfere at a particular point in his checklist each time he tried it. So it's it's an amazing, amazing thing. Uh, these objects seem to know exactly how our systems work. Robert Salas, uh, thank you for this, and um, we'll uh, we'll get you back on. Uh, we're going to make sure that the uh, this news cycle doesn't die. We're not just going to pick it up and, and and drop it and leave people hanging. We've got to. We're going to cover this and go with it to the bitter end, wherever that may lead us. Thank you. You're welcome. I'd be happy to come back on anytime. By the way, if people are more uh, interested in my evidence, they can go to my website, spiralgalaxy.org. Spiralgalaxy.org. We'll uh, we'll hook up to your site on uh, richardserrett.com as well. Thank you, Robert. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. When we come back, Robert Hastings, author of UFOs and Nukes, here on The Conspiracy Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. It is a head-scratcher. If there's a more important issue facing mankind right now than UFO disclosure, I'd like to know what it is. Is it tomorrow's municipal election? You know, shuffle the seats on the Titanic? Who's going to be the next mayor to manage the decline for the next four years? I don't think so. Robert Hastings is uh, with us. He's the author of UFOs and Nukes, Extraordinary Encounters at Nuclear Weapon Sites. Robert served almost seven years on active duty in the Air Force until uh, resigning in 1971. And... uh, I'm sorry, that's uh, Robert Salas. <laughs> My apologies. <laughs> Robert Hastings uh, is a noted uh, UFO researcher, lecturer, and author uh, who presented a major UFO press conference in Washington, D.C. on September 27th. At the press conference, he presented evidence that U.S. nuclear weapons have been compromised by unidentified aerial objects. Uh, Robert Hastings, uh, sorry for that miscue, but uh, thank you nonetheless for joining us here on The Conspiracy Show. That's all right. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, both my father and grandfather were career military, but I have this tendency to talk back, so it would not have been a good move for me. <laughs> you, you do do that sometimes, don't you, Robert? <laughs> good for you. <laughs> Let me uh, ask you what I asked uh, Robert Salas earlier, and that is, with this press conference, did you note a um, the the sea change in the the mainstream media's attitude on the, on this issue. Time will tell. Um, certainly, based on the press conferences previously held at the National Press Club over the last decade, this program generated far more mainstream coverage uh, worldwide, not only in the U.S. and Canada, for example, but. Uh, Bob Salas and I are, have gotten requests from uh, for interviews from countries all over the globe, basically. So that's encouraging. Um, on the other hand, um, you know, the press conference story didn't make the evening news on any of the major networks, uh, with the, with the exception of a brief reference on CNN and a brief reference on Fox. But ABC, NBC, and CBS in the U.S., the big three heavy hitters, you know, basically we were a non-story. So 
there's still a, a prevalent uh, disregard, uh, ignoring of the story of not only the UFO reality, but in particular the, the message that we were trying to convey that for whatever reason, UFOs have monitored nuclear weapons since the 1940s, according to documents and witness testimony, and on occasion have actually interfered with the functioning of those weapons. Yeah, I'd like to take up on that, um, uh, Robert, in terms of the, you know, CBS and NBC and ABC, uh, the, you know, the mainstream big three not taking this up as a major issue. Um, my sense is it's not necessarily just people who monitor it editorially. My sense, and just, you know, agree, disagree, whatever, is that major ownership of those three networks, you know, you're talking about Disney, Time Warner, uh, General Electric, whoever they might be, we're talking about some pretty big heavy hitters. Um, what is your assessment of the kinds of control that those larger corporations, beyond NBC, CBS, and ABC, what is your take on how they may be controlling how the big three cover this kind of massive uh, amount of information? Well, it's difficult to say with any certainty. However, what can be established is that in the 1970s, in particular 1975, there was a Senate uh, committee hearing hosted by a senator named Frank Church from Idaho, looking at CIA abuses, uh, a violation of American law, and so forth, several days of hearings uh, on one of those days. Uh, there was testimony devoted to the CIA's infiltration of the American mainstream media, uh, in which not only were uh, journalists recruit, recruited overseas to act as uh, spies or certainly eyes and ears for the agency, but... Um, the, the clear inference that the major the major networks uh, were cooperating with the intelligence community in terms of either spinning or suppressing national security related stories. And if anyone has followed uh, the type of information that's emerged from government files about UFOs, they certainly are a national security story. Uh, a journalist uh, named Terry Hansen wrote an excellent book called. Uh, the Missing Times, mm-hmm. and uh, the, the uh, subtitle is The News Media's Complicity in the UFO Cover-Up. It is out of print, but uh, it, copies are still available. It's excellent. He documents uh, chapter and verse uh, the CIA's uh, infiltration of the mainstream media in the U.S. since World War II. So I think that's definitely an element. Um, you know, I think it's not so much a corporate muzzle as it is uh, an intelligence community muzzle that's being imposed um, on, on some of the, the major organizations yeah. to suppress the, yeah. the UFO story. What questions, what sorts of questions were you being asked by journalists uh, who perhaps uh, prior to this press conference never gave this issue much thought or, or certainly didn't cover it? Were you getting sort of sincere questions? Were you getting uh, shocked looks. I mean, were you were you changing hearts and minds uh, w- with journalists on on this with this press conference? I, you know, at the press conference itself, um, unfortunately, the people who stood up and asked questions. I don't know if uh, those have survived on any of the videos that are out there on the internet, um, but the people who got up uh, really had stories to tell more than asking questions was not which was not the whole idea at a press conference so at the event itself there really wasn't anything of consequence that i can recall on the other hand in the subsequent interviews i've done probably 20 at least over the last month 
for from organizations in the U.S., Canada, um, uh, Europe, and so on. Um, there is yes, a very serious uh, uh, demeanor on the part of the people who are questioning me. Uh, obviously, the ex-military witnesses who, who provided testimony at the press conference made a deep impression on probably hitherto skeptical uh, uh, reporters. Um, so that's encouraging. Um, the thing is, is, is this story going to be a flash in the pan, or is it going to be the groundswell for something larger? Will this continue to build? I think it's too optimistic to think that what we did was the catalyst that would, um, you know, change things and, and sort of bring about some wider candor on the part of the U.S. government about all of this. But at the very least, hopefully we've gotten some uh, major organizations to think about the very fact that the fact that this, this is real and obviously tremendously important and is probably a story that they need to pay more attention to. Well, in the I, I I beg to differ, Robert. I think uh, you're underestimating the effect that you've uh, that you've had. Um, my sense, uh, Robert, is that you have really lit a, a, a fuse here, and I think that uh, we brought this up with uh, with with Bob Salas earlier uh, this evening. Is that um, there is absolutely no doubt that this has gone up the line of uh, the line of command, the chain of command in the United States government, and they know what you guys have done. I'm, I'm quite adamant in believing that the, these these people aren't just sitting by, you know, uh, you know. Uh, playing canasta. These guys are playing high-stakes poker here. And you've, you've put an ante on the table that really can't be um, uh, ignored. And that ante on the table has to be dealt with. And any journalist who's listening tonight, be it you know uh, local or international or whatever, has to pick up on that ante and ask at a press conference, either the Washington Press Corps or whatever, the key questions that need to be asked about this, and it's a national security issue, as you as you well stated. So, um, I think you've really ignited uh, a flame here that just can't be dismissed. Well, I hope that's true, and and again, time will tell. I have been uh, speaking about this publicly since 1981, and although I've gotten very excellent objective coverage from local media wherever I've spoken around the U.S. Uh, until this press conference, the national media have ignored basically covering my lectures with rare exceptions. So there is an encouraging development here with the fact that we've gotten so much publicity. My point is that uh, there are any number of factors uh, that would um, potentially jeopardize this gaining momentum from public indifference to um, you know, behind-the-scenes efforts to suppress uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the dissemination of the information. I, I won't go into particulars at the moment, but I issued a second press release on October 14th in which I uh, said that the witness affidavits that we presented at the press conference and the small cross-section of declassified documents had just been posted at the UFO Chronicles website. And um, Frank Warren, who is the webmaster at UFO Chronicles, uh, and I have noticed some rather suspicious trends in terms of uh, things on the Internet not really working the way they should in terms of the the stories being posted and shared and distributed, uh, and uh, almost to to the point of suggesting that somehow the story was choked, uh, to use Frank's words. Um, So... 
you know, the powers that be are holding most of the cards, and there can be some behind-the-scenes uh, activity that, that would uh, tend to offset what we're doing. But I hope you're right. I hope, you know, it's it's a question of time. I mean, it's sooner or later the story will break. Um, I just, um, you know, I, I've been doing this for 30 years in the public eye, and I'm just not allowing myself to get too excited about this being a major breakthrough. Uh, it would be nice yeah. if it were. It must be hard to kind of hold back and and be as disciplined as you are to to be that hopeful, but I guess you you just have to keep your your shoulder to the wheel, don't you? That's kind of uh, one of my chief attributes. Whatever failings I might have, I'm a stubborn son of a gun, <laughs> and uh, I can think of worse ways to spend one's life than pushing for this uh, paradigm shift. So uh, it's the what I've devoted my life to for better and worse, and I'm not going away anywhere any anywhere at all. So. Robert, for those not familiar with your work or the book UFOs and Nukes or what actually happened on September 27th, give, give those listeners a sense of the scope of, of this issue in terms of, uh, well, affix some dates and some places uh, at Air Force bases around the country when this... UFO tampering with missiles uh, actually occurred. Uh, well, if we if we were to go back to the the beginning of the UFO connection, as I call it, um, I've interviewed uh, a Navy pilot who, in 1945, even as World War II was going on, uh, his squadron was stationed at Pasco, Washington, right across from the Hanford Plutonium Production Site. Uh, that pre- created the plutonium for the bomb that was detonated in the desert of New Mexico, as well as the Nagasaki bomb. Uh, the Hiroshima bomb was uranium-based. In any case, uh, this gentleman named Bud Clem has told me that on three separate occasions, UFOs hovered over the Hanford site in uh, March, uh, January, or February of 1945, and his uh, squadron was sent up three times to chase these things away. So even before the bombs were dropped on Japan, you have UFOs hovering over nuclear weapons sites. Um, Dr. Bruce McAbee, uh, most people, uh, most of your listeners hopefully will know his name. He's a longtime researcher, uh, a physicist who worked for the Navy for many years. He filed a Freedom of Information uh, request with the FBI in the late 70s. Among the 1,500 or so pages of documents relating to UFOs that he accessed, were several relating to UFOs hovering over the Los Alamos labs where weapons were invented in 1945 and at Sandia in my hometown of Albuquerque, uh, a weapons uh, uh, engineering site. Uh, so again, very early on, um, right at, uh, you know, in the heels, uh, just not long after the end of World War II, uh, you have ongoing UFO activity in New Mexico at these nuclear sites. Um, in 1960, the first ICBMs, uh, the first nuclear missiles, came online in the U.S. And within months, I now know from interviews with ex-Air Force personnel, uh, UFOs were hovering over missile sites uh, at Walker Air Force Base in New Mexico, at F.E. Warren in Wyoming. I've, I've interviewed security guards, launch personnel, missile maintenance technicians who said on several occasions... Uh, at those bases and virtually every other ICBM base, uh, UFOs hovered over uh, ICBM sites. Uh, again, this is get from between 1960 through 1964. Um, 
1965, August 1st, at F.E. Warren in Cheyenne, Wyoming, according to a memo that the late Dr. J. Allen Hynek basically leaked uh, he, he uh, when he left his service with Project Blue Book. Uh, among the papers he released to the public was a memorandum indicating that on August 1st, uh, UFOs for several hours flew around and hovered over several missile sites at F.E. Warren. And that document is re- is uh, reprinted in my book. Um, and then the most well-known cases um, uh, were two years later in March of 67 at two separate uh, groups of missiles, Echo and Oscar Flight at Malmstrom Air Force Base, Montana, where we now know from the testimony of Bob Salas and other individuals the UFOs hovered over missile sites, uh, whereupon entire groups of missiles malfunctioned. Uh, well, their, guidance yeah. and, their guidance and control systems yeah. went out. Um, I have in my mm-hmm. book, the 600-page book, UFOs and Nukes, I have uh, cro- more or less chronologically presented those kinds of cases that occurred. You know, uh, For every case I've mentioned, there are six or seven others I have, have witnesses for, uh, virtually every ICBM base in in the United States has been repeatedly visited by UFOs. Um, as recently as last fall, November of '09, uh, I was approached by an active duty Air Force security policeman at Malmstrom who told me that uh, as recently as 2007, uh, a UFO uh, it, uh, flew in around the Oscar uh, missile alert facility, as they call them nowadays, the same site basically where Bob Salas had his experience 40-something years ago. So it's ongoing. Um, there have been uh, me- media reports. Um, uh, there's a facility in Orange County, California, south of L.A., called the uh, Navy uh, Seal Beach Navy Weapons Station, which is a nuclear weapons bunker facility. Uh, there are photographs of UFOs that have flew around there as recently as March of 2009. Um, one of the most dramatic cases... Um, uh, I'll get you, Bob, I'll water. get you to hold on right there. We'll, uh, we'll get you to detail that uh, dramatic case of uh, a UFO tampering with nuclear missiles. Uh, when we come back in just a moment. Robert Hastings, author of UFOs and Nukes, Extraordinary Encounters at Nuclear Weapons Sites, Victor Vigiani in studio, Exopolitics Canada. My name is Richard Serrett. Humans, for the most part, don't have a clue. They don't want one or need one either. They're happy. They think they have a good bead on things. Well, why, why the big secret? People are smart. They can handle it. A person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Robert Hastings is with us, author of UFOs and Nukes. We just heard uh, uh, Tommy Lee Jones uh, there, a clip obviously from Men in Black, and and I don't say this in in a flippant manner, uh, Robert, but ha- have any of the people that have come forward, any of the U.S. Air Force officials, former or present, have they talked to you about, I don't know, being visited by uh, a, men in, a man in black or, 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 or uh, getting a mysterious phone call or a, uh, a not-so-subtle uh, email suggesting that they stop talking about this sort of thing? 
not one of them. And um, I emphasize that to the new military witnesses that I uh, approach uh, to let them know that if they have misgivings about being threatened or harassed, uh, to contact the other 120-plus people I've talked to, and they'll find out that not well, not even a single one of them has been um, approached in that way. In my view, what what is going on is uh, the Pentagon realizes that if these guys are courageous enough to come forward and talk to me about this and allow their names to be used publicly, and in the case of the seven who appeared with me in Washington in September, if they're prepared to do that, stick their necks out, if someone leans on them, the FBI or the Pentagon, uh, it's going to blow up in their faces. It's going to backfire on them. These guys will just go to the media and say, look, you know, I'm, I'm a decorated veteran. I once controlled weapons of mass destruction. Uh, UFO shut down my missiles, and now the FBI is leaning on me for, because of talking about it. It would only aggravate the situation in terms of publicity. So I think the Pentagon has, has steered clear of doing that. Um, I think... Uh, Things may change, but certainly up to this point in time, uh, what I've been doing and what my witnesses have been saying is, is an annoyance, certainly, to the Pentagon and the CIA, but we're not really a threat to uh, the cover-up, in my view. Uh, I hope you're right. I hope uh, it, this may be a, a, a door cracking open for the first time, but uh, we'll wait and see on that. So I guess what you're saying is that this technique of silence, abject silence on the part of any, you know, high-level official just to keep quiet, that whole technique of silence is rather effective. I think that's it. Um, I think you just stick to your story, and no matter what evidence is presented uh, in the public domain, you just deny it and say that it's been misinterpreted and, uh, you know, just, you know, I mean, what the Air Force did in the wake of the press conference is what they've been doing for 40 years. They trot out this official statement saying that they investigated UFOs until 1969, and then they lost interest in it and no longer investigate them. They've got this prepared statement. Of course, yeah. And, uh, you know, that's that's all they do. Uh, they don't elaborate. They yeah. don't take questions, basically, and they just say, you yeah. know, move along. There's nothing to see here. That's right. And, uh, you know, it's worked for them so far, hasn't it? Yeah, for sure. Now, just a little while ago, uh, and I've got my book in front of me. It's probably, oh, gosh, one of them. Just in, in early October, I called uh, the United States Air Force. I went, went through about 13 individuals to eventually get to the media relations director uh, at, uh, at the United States Air Force, Vicki Stein. I'm going to use her name. And uh, we spent about uh, 15 or 20 minutes on the phone, and I was asking her, uh, almost tongue-in-cheek, and I go, what's this, this stuff about uh, you know, nuclear weapons being... Uh, you know, shut down. Uh, is the, it's the Air Force policy. Are you aware of what's going on? Are you aware of the press conference? Are you following it? Her first statement to me, Robert, was that, yes, we are following, we did follow the uh, the press conference uh, just after you guys had it. And I, and I asked her, I said, well, so what, what's your take on that? And exactly what she said, she referred me to the Condon report. And uh, after that, I was sort of nonplussed and said, is that all that the United States Air Force, the most powerful Air Force on the planet, is that all you guys are relying on to explain how nuclear weapons are being shut down? And she said, yes. Well, one has to understand that uh, the concept of need to know is crucial to national security-related matters. It's basically a system of compartmentalizing information. So... 
in very sensitive cases involving, for example, UFO incursions at nuclear weapons sites. Um, unless you have a need to know about that going on, you could be a general at the Pentagon and know nothing about it. Um, the people directly involved in it, it might be a sergeant. A sergeant might mm-hmm. know, uh, be the person who collects this data and uh, decides who else gets to see it if that's his job. And therefore, this sergeant could know far more than many generals at the Pentagon about the real situation simply because they're not in the loop. They have no need to know about this. It's just the most uh, sophisticated way of uh, the effective way of keeping things secret. Um, Speaking of Pentagon spokespeople, uh, back in the 1970s, I worked uh, at Northern Illinois University as a photographer. And... My boss's boss was a man named Colonel Robert Faulkner, retired Air Force colonel who worked at the Secretary of the Air Force's Office of Information, SAFOI, in the early 60s. And I had already had my experience at Malmstrom Air Force Base where I witnessed UFOs on radar. And I brought this up to Colonel Faulkner at one point, and uh, he denied it. So... Uh, that anything like that could have happened. So anytime there was a UFO story in the paper, I would go and needle this guy and, and say, look about, look at this, what about this? And finally, after two or three years, I got him on a bad day, and when I brought up a story, he stood up, beat red, his veins bulging in his neck, got right up in my face and said, Robert, uh, we at the Pentagon know this is real. What makes you think the public would not panic if we were, you know, to divulge the truth? Wow. Now, what does that story prove? Nothing. But the point is, this gentleman worked uh, in the office in the Pentagon that basically put out cover stories and PR relating to any number of things, including UFOs. And after three years of denying that there was anything to it, that UFOs didn't exist, the Air Force wasn't interested, etc., he finally told me the truth in a moment of anger. So. <laughs> It's Interesting. Real going on, and certain people know, you know, are involved in suppressing the truth. Robert, uh, stay uh, with us. We'll take uh, another time out here. We'll get to some phone calls as well. Albert in Toronto. Others, you've got a line. Hold on to it. 416-360-0740-866-740-4740. UFOs and nukes when the Conspiracy Show continues. Albert's in Toronto. Albert, you're on the line with Robert Hastings here on The Conspiracy Show. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, hi, thanks. So I was wondering, what is the chance that the event will happen on its own, that aliens reveal themselves, or that an October surprise come from China, that they give official disclosure? And I'll take the answer off the air. Thanks. All right, Albert, thank you. Robert, do you want to take a stab at that one? Uh, that's an excellent point. I, I think it's an unanswerable question, but it's certainly in the realm of possibility in that um, we're talking about the government uh, being the catalyst or, or the, uh, the the, the uh, factor that causes the truth to be revealed. It may be whoever are flying these craft themselves decide to put on some sort of demonstration worldwide that leaves no doubt in anyone's mind as to their reality and presence here. Um, so that's certainly in the realm of possibility. In my view, what has gone on, certainly since World War II, this on-again, off-again, cat-and-mouse kind of behavior, uh, sort of stealthy 2 a.m. on a dark road activity punctuated by massive daylight displays over Mexico City where millions of people can see you, to me suggests that you're, you're slowly but surely over several decades preparing humankind for 
the reality of the situation. You don't do it in one fell swoop because you will panic the locals, but what you do is engage us in this on-again, off-again, slow kind of behavior, display behavior, and so on that, that slowly psychologically, psychologically conditions the human uh, race for the eventual openness of their presence. I think that's what's going on. Uh, as to whether or not they'll up the ante and uh, you know bring things to a head, who knows. Tony is in Brampton. Tony, you're on The Conspiracy Show with Robert Hastings. Uh, yes, Robert. I was stationed in, in Guam uh, in 67 uh, at Anderson Air Force Base, and they had a, a big a nuclear stockpile there. I was wondering if there was any UFO activity at that time. Uh, it would not surprise me. I've not, uh, I can't say that I know of any documents or any witness testimony that would point to that fact. Um, but weapons storage areas certainly are one of the primary targets. Uh, before an earlier break, I was about to say one of the most dramatic cases on record uh, occurred in England in 1980 at Bentwaters Air Force Base, which had uh, the largest stockpile of tactical, that is, battlefield nukes in Europe at that time. Mm-hmm. And most people have heard of Colonel Charles Holt, who was then the deputy base commander. Almost everyone knows about him chasing UFOs through Rendlesham's forest. What many people don't know is that uh, one of those UFOs subsequently went and hovered near the weapons storage area and sent down laser-like beams of light into it. And uh, Colonel Holt uh, is still, uh, you know, in keeping with his Air Force training, he will neither confirm nor deny that that weapons facility held nukes, but it's an open secret that it did. Um, I happened to interview back in 1994 another colonel whose name I can't divulge, who told me that subsequent to that event at Bentwaters, uh, two tactical nukes were taken out, flown by a C-5A cargo uh, aircraft to Kirtland Air Force Base, where they were inspected to see whether or not any of these beams had caused damage to the weapons. Uh, This colonel was very high up in the NATO uh, weapons security apparatus. Uh, He told me, he claimed rather, that he did not know the results of the investigation, but he did admit that much. Uh, So in answer to your question, I would bet that if someone... Uh, were to come forward who was there, you know, at some period of time at, the, at that facility in Guam, there would be stories to tell about similar incidents there. Yeah. Thank you uh, for the call, Tony. Uh, Robert, what about uh, uh, non-weapon facilities? What about uh, uh, nuclear power plants or someplace like uh, a Chalk River or, uh, well, right here in our own backyard, uh, Darlington uh, nuclear power plant? Well, in my book, uh, I have an appendix. One of the appendices is devoted uh, just to brief summaries of some of the um, incidents at civilian power plants around the world where UFOs were sighted above them. Um, The most dramatic case on record involved the Chernobyl plant in Ukraine, which exploded in April of 1986. Uh, It was a poor reactor design. Uh, There was a meltdown, uh, release of radiation. And um, within the last 10 years, probably about 10 years ago, uh, in both the Ukraine and now Russia, uh, reports have appeared in in journals, uh, newspapers, saying that former Soviet radiation monitoring personnel called in to assess the situation at this facility reported seeing a, an amber-colored sphere, spherical-shaped object uh, hover over the site, the damaged reactor, for three to five minutes, 
and at one point sent down two uh, laser-like uh, crimson-colored beams of light into the reactor. And um, the published stories uh, relating to this said that the radiation level that had been deter- detected prior to the appearance of this object had dropped by two-thirds um, when this object left the, the site. And there's no, uh, you know, this is the, the, the Rentkin count, the radiation level count. Uh, there's no scientific explanation for how uh, that could have, uh, you know, been dropped so precipitously in such a short period of time. Uh, but those stories, one can find uh, summaries of the the original articles by googling that on the internet. All right, uh, Robert, uh, I, I thank you uh, for your time tonight. We're going to keep on top of this story. We're not going to let this uh, 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 die, and uh, we hope you'll join us again soon. Absolutely. UFOHastings.com, the website, UFOHastings.com, UFOs and Nukes. Back with Victor Vigiani in just a moment. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Victor Vigiani, Media Director with ExoPolitics Canada. And uh, we're going to ride this one into the sunset together. Victor, I didn't ask this question to either Robert Hastings or uh, to, to Robert Salas. And why am I afraid you're going to ask me? I am, but I didn't, I didn't want, it to, uh, I didn't want to seem, uh, it to seem flippant uh, or disrespectful. Uh, but I have no problem asking you. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> no. Well, Go I'm, ahead. Listen, we have yeah. a level of comfort. Okay. You know, here's the thing that bothers me about this story. Okay. Where were the UFOs in 1945 when the U.S. dropped the big one on Nagasaki and Hiroshima? If they right. can take missiles offline or they can tamper with them, why didn't they prevent that? Uh, really, that's a great question. <laughs> I, I, well, I, I guess what happened was, I guess during the experimental period, um, I guess in White Sands when things were first, I guess, uh, exploded, that's when they started. And as Jim Mars says, you know, the, oh my goodness, that the, the kids have found the matches. And uh, m- my explanation for that is that whoever is in charge of monitoring this, and you, I, I don't think you can pin it down to one species. Right, uh, right. Of, of extraterrestrials, and if in fact they're responsible for monitoring this, um, I, I guess it's, it's part of just you know free will. We are in charge of what we're doing, and at that point in time, they just didn't want to intervene. Uh, it was just too early in the whole scenario for them to come forward and say, "Okay, you guys can't do this anymore." Uh, uh, it's it's too, probably too embryonic. I, I don't. I, we were sort of playing with something we didn't really have any too much control over. I mean, we know for a fact that uh, when they developed the nuclear weapon that they dropped in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, they, no one had any real idea as to how powerful this thing really, really was. Uh, they, they knew that it was devastating, but they had no idea of the kind of, uh, I guess, um, universal impact. So when you explode something like that, the, the reverberations go out not just, you know, within the planet itself. It goes out, you know, throughout the cosmos. And I guess it was a signal, and I guess it just allowed them to pay attention to the kind of devastation that we could uh, you know, wreak upon ourselves. And hopefully uh, their intervention lately has been sort of a warning to say, you can't go any further with this. So as to why they didn't intervene earlier, I don't know. I wish I had the answer to the question. Well, 
Why do we necessarily assume that they're monitoring or intervening? They're tampering. But at the height of the Cold War, we have reports that they're taking U.S. missiles offline, Mm -hmm. which one could say, well, they're making the United States very vulnerable to attack. At the same time, we have reports that they're arming missiles in the Soviet Union. Why do we then from that draw this conclusion that they're trying to protect us from ourselves? Maybe they're trying to instigate something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, it goes back to, the, to, my, to my point uh, that I've always maintained all the way along, Richard, is that we just don't know what their, quote unquote, they, what their agenda really is. I, 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 would, I would challenge anyone to come forward to say, okay, here's what the extraterrestrials are doing. I know uh, Stan Fulham came forward and, and made his predictions about who these people are and what they're doing and how they're trying to warn us about everything. Uh, I take all of that with a grain of salt. I, my, my estimation is that we will not know and do not know at this particular time, point in time, what their agenda is. And uh, it's a sort of, um, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a game, that's an, it's an open game. We don't know exactly what's going on. And we're, we're, we're down here looking at what's going on and saying, try, and we're trying to make sense of all of this. And in our own feeble way, we are coming to conclusions that may not be even on the agenda at all. So we just don't know what's going on. And for us to, to speculate and to say, well, there's this or there's that, um, I just, I'm, I'm convinced that we just don't know. And uh, for, for us to kind of try to be specific about all of this, we really kind of, we, we tangle the web even more in, in the speculation. So it's, a, it's a, almost a catch-22. The more we try to explain it, the more we get into the conundrum of not having a good answer for anything. And I just think that the, the fact of the matter is, is these beings, whoever they are, are highly developed, and they're just watching, looking, listening, and intervening when they see fit, or uh, somehow instigating something. Now, if they're instigating us becoming more involved with one another with these with these weapons, uh, that's not good news. Uh, and I understand the point of your question about that. But the fact of the matter is, is they're, they're letting us know that we're doing something that is not benefiting the planet in one way or another. And it could be a sign to us to kind of look more specifically at what we're doing. And it pointing toward the readiness that we have to have in order to um, internalize globally, I'm talking about globally as a, as a uh, human species, to internalize that we are in fact part of some sort of larger cosmic civilization, although we don't know it yet. And that we have to pay attention to what's beyond, not just what's going on on our own planet. Do you think here in Canada, there are, we, of course, we don't have nuclear missiles on our soil, at least none that we know of. Right. Uh, but, but do you think there are uh, personnel who, uh, who work at nuclear plants that have similar stories to tell, um, haven't told them publicly? Do you think they're out there and waiting for some sort of an invitation? I mean, actual human beings who know yes. what's going on? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't think that there is any doubt that within the, the, the structure, the massive structure, the infrastructure of military, both uh, you know, in the United States and Canada, NORAD, that there are people sitting there um, on a day-to-day basis who know exactly what's going on. I'm talking about civilians who work at nuclear plants in this country. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that they, that they have some sort of insight as to what's going on. And, uh, and that, I mean, I've, I've been told 
quite frankly, by some military personnel that I've known personally, that there are literally hundreds of people within this whole kind of infrastructure that are just bursting at the seams to tell the story. But because of their, their oath of secrecy, that they can't come forward. And we know that there are internally people who want to come forward, but they just can't. So in answer to your question, uh, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that there are people, insiders, who, who know what's going on but just can't come forward. And what they need is permission. What they need is a reality. What they need is a conduit through which to express themselves. And I think programs like this are exactly the way to go. I mean, if there is anybody out there who wants to do it anonymously, this is the perfect way to go. Uh, just a few moments left in the program. Let's work our good friend Nelson Thal into the proceedings. Hello, Nelson. Hey, how you doing, Richard? Well, thank you, my friend. Well, the UFO stuff is great. I, I, I'll tell you where I, I really think that what we have to also add is, you know, any being that has the ability to translate many, many light years, at least Alpha Centauri's five light years, and we know there's nothing between us and that, any being that can do five light years and come here, I mean, they've got the ability to just wipe us out instantly, and I think that's why the people are so frightened. Because let's face it, you know, if you've got the ability to come here and we're saying they do, that means what level of technology do they have? Mm -hmm. They're able to go through light years, which is like we can't get anywhere near a, a little a fingernail of light year speed. So these people are very, very advanced, and they probably want to turn us into who knows? What, what would you do? What, if they're as imperialistic as we are? Oh, oh, we're in trouble, big trouble. Yeah, I don't necessarily subscribe to the fact that just because they are technologically advanced, they are likewise spiritually advanced. On the other I hand, I didn't know that's no. right. They may be, they may be spiritually very immature, in which case they're just waiting to get us rid of us or ship us off planet. On the other hand, uh, the other thing that confounds me is, and if, it's probably that's the case, and that's why the government authorities don't want to say anything because they're, they're they're powerless. They know we're the powerless. Into panic. That's right. Well, here's the other thing to think about. If they are, control. if they're intergalactic, uh, yeah. if that means that they have harnessed the power of the sun, at least. Oh, uh, I don't. I, you know what? One thing's for sure. Whatever they've harnessed, it's it's it it it, it turn, we're, It's like us versus an amoeba. Yes, I mean they they. Like they're far above us as we are above the amoeba. They could so conjure knows, up. We could never figure out what they've harnessed. They it's could huge. conjure up matter. Uh, they could. They don't need to come. They don't need to travel five light years to harvest genetic material from a cattle. You know, they could do whatever they want with yeah, just no, a snap just of a finger. They just want to live in Hollywood and have a good time like we are. And they just want to take us out of here and enjoy the planet. Hey, Nelson, what's coming up on Cloak and Dagger? Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Shock Talk. And shock and Talk We're with Blue and Steel. talk about the Dalai Lama hello, and his close spiritual advisor, Heinrich Harr, who was head of Hitler's mobile killing unit. Oh my! So we're going to really one. go into the background of Dalai Lama, and you'll learn a lot about these one-world religion uh, embryonics. Wow, characters. that's uh, that sounds like a hot one. Uh, we got a hot one. All right, my friend. Well, that's what we do. That's what the shock talk is all about. It's shocking. No doubt. So thanks a lot. It's uh, bloomandsteel.com, Richard. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Nelson. Talk soon. Take care. All right, uh, Victor Vigiani. Thank you as always. Uh, you're most welcome, Richard. Great to be here. What's your next step? What are you going to do? How are you going to respond to this uh, press conference in Washington? Well, uh, right now we are following the media responses, and I have a couple of openings that uh, we are following. Uh, one very specific to do with uh, some high ups in the uh, in the Pentagon, and we're following that with great interest out of Manhattan, New York. So, 
I might have some news for you in a little while about that, hopefully. All right. ExopoliticsCanada.ca. ExopoliticsCanada.ca. Uh, our thanks to Robert Salas, uh, Robert Hastings, uh, Patrick White from Conspiracy Culture. Don't forget the Canadian theatrical premiere of What in the World Are They Spraying, presented by Conspiracy Culture, and Richard Serrett. The Blur Cinema, 506 Blur Street West, November the 20th. Hope to see you there. Thanks, Dan Ellison. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.